Hey y'all, just to start off, I'd like to thank all my supporters and welcome to the Garden Pepper Presents podcast. Today, my guest is Eric Ross. Eric and Ross and I have known each other for a long time. He is a very interesting human being. He really does life his own way and he follows his interests to their depths and that makes for an interesting human and I think you're going to really enjoy learning Eric Ross's story. We talk about surfing and Scottish games and bicycling and philosophy and on and on. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. I am your host, Gary Fox, and today my guest is Eric Ross. Eric Ross and I go back probably 35 years or so. We uh, have yeah. 30, 35. At so least. Uh huh. So we hung out oh, for a few years, and uh, he was in a band, and uh, he was pretty cool. Like, I was like, Eric Ross is like so cool. I don't know about that, but. Right. That's that's the total Eric Ross answer right there. I don't know about that. So um, you you came up, you grew up in California, like yeah. Santa Rosa, like your whole life. You were born there. I was born in Petaluma. 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 Arm wrestling championships of the world right there in Petaluma. Yeah. And yeah. then I moved to, well. My parents moved us to uh, Rincon Valley. Rincon Valley. Was, like before I turned one. Yeah. So, yeah. That's pretty much your whole life then. It's been Rincon Valley. Pretty much for the first part of it. Yeah. Yeah. First chunk. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so you grew up there. You're part of a Mormon family. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're. Yeah. My dad was a convert and. Yeah. My mom converted because uh, she was afraid he was going to get married off to somebody else if she didn't. So, uh, yeah. So he, oh, so she converted him. No, he, he got converted when he went to San Jose State. Oh, he did? Okay. Yeah. Interesting story about that. Uh, when we were coming home from his funeral, I got a phone call because we were getting our temple recommends. Uh, so the, the stake secretary or whatever called me because we had to do the interviews. And he said, You're, you guys moved up here from Sonoma County? He's like, do you know John Ross? And I was like, yeah, that's my dad. And the guy that called me after we came, in, like probably within an hour of coming in the door for my dad's funeral was the missionary that met him in Petaluma as he was leaving for college and gave him like the first discussion. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. So it's like, Oh, you introduced my dad to the church and I just got back from his funeral. So that was interesting. So that same day. So was he just reaching out out of nowhere? Well, we had, um, we were setting up appointments to get interviews with the stake president or whatever. So let me inter, uh, tell people, stake, stake president, the uh, Mormon church is laid out um, in kind of a hierarchy of area. Let's just say it's area. And so yeah. they, they have branches and branches are where all the other churches are. And then all those branches are attached to the stake. So one stake, if you if you ever like see a really big Mormon church, that's typically the stake center or the center of all the other branches that reach in 
to to that big building. And so when they have their big events, they go to the stake center. Also, there are several churches that happen within a stake center. Usually there's like three churches going simultaneously meeting at different times at a, at a big stake center. Co correct? Uh, yeah, where there's lots of members, lots of people. Mm -hmm. They're pretty busy in Utah and stuff, but not so busy a lot of other places. So That's true. In Utah, they're running them. Those, those buildings are getting full usage. Yeah. They don't even need to turn on the heat. They just Double let, shifts. They just let the body stay in there all the time. And everything stays yeah. in there. It's always somebody in there eating cookies and shedding heat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're up in Northern California now. Yep. What are you, yeah. what are you Moved around a bit, but we settled back up in here. So. You did Hawaii for a little while, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I left Sonoma County. Um, I wasn't always in the church, as you know. Uh -huh. I, you know I had had to uh, experiment and discover everything on my own. Sure. So didn't it didn't stick from my parents, but it kind of came back around later. But uh, yeah, I moved. Uh, things are getting really bad. You know, all my like I I quit doing any kind of stuff when I turned twenty five my 25th birthday i still do all this stuff oh yeah yeah I, I woke up and i turned on the radio and uh that led zeppelin song came on uh, your time is gonna come uh-huh and i was just i don't know it just hit me or something it's like yeah i don't need to be doing any of that stuff anymore so i after 25 i was clean i pretty much quit drinking anyways when uh david got married and and went up there that's when i started drinking he will see he was my drinking buddy and once he left it was like nah uh yeah he hasn't oh. drank in like i don't know 10 15 years oh that's good for him good for him yeah but uh yeah after, uh, uh so i was clean so most and i was really into riding bikes and stuff at that time we that was another one of my goals when i was younger i wanted to learn how to build bikes and stuff so you know, I was just bicycle crazy my whole life. And uh, so a lot of my friends would come around, hey, let's go, let's go riding, let's go riding. And and then they'd get back, is it on the wagon or off the wagon? You know, they'd start oh. doing heroin again or they'd start drinking again and they wouldn't come around anymore, you know? Right. So I had these part-time friends that were trying to get clean, get straight, and then they'd drop out again. And I had one friend, uh, this is when I lived in the Pink Palace there on Fourth Street. So I was, I was within stumbling distance of the old Vic. And uh, I was trying to help a buddy get home one night after he had too much to drink. Mm -hmm. And this uh, VW van full of jocks was going by and he yelled something at him. They all piled out. So it was me and this drunk guy against like, I don't know, probably the Montgomery High School rugby team or something. Yeah. yeah. And uh I got punched in the jaw and I was just like, man, I'm tired of this. And, you know, trying to, trying to play music and stuff and everybody was just flaky and everything. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I decided, oh, and you know, I got dumped by my girlfriends and stuff. And it was like, that's when I went, that's when the experiment really began. It's like, you know, everything I've been doing up till now is just not working. And, uh, so I just like 
moved to Hawaii. And that's when I started like reading scriptures again and stuff. And I did like a big fast and everything. And that's when I left my, I, you know, I did the bicycle thing. I did the music thing for a while. And, uh, my other, like the third part of my life goals was to learn how to surf. And I started doing that in, in Sonoma County and it was cold and stuff, but, uh, you know, you got to wear a wetsuit and whatnot. So then it was, then the decision was made, well, I gotta, I gotta move to Hawaii and, and do it right. Like learn it the right way. Mm-hmm. So I just moved there by myself and, uh, told myself, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to sleep with any girls until I get married. Uh, I'm going to quit drinking. I'm, you know, I'm just going to be clean. And, you know, I was pretty successful there and, uh, moved there and it was really cool. It was a cool experience. Lived on Maui, North shore, Maui, little town called Kuau. Uh-huh. If you ever go there, there's mama's fish house and ho keep uh, the, the big windsurfing breaks, like just kind of around the bay from, where I was living. We went to Mama's and, uh, house. Walter Becker was my next door neighbor from oh, really? Yeah. And uh pass away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit ago. Yeah, like last year or something. Mm-hmm. And then uh Steely Dan. Yeah, I was working for this guy, Cruiser Bob, still doing working on bicycles. And uh like I thought I was going to do like a little bike tour, you know, circumnavigate the island and everything. But I checked in with him to see if I could get a job and he hired me like on the spot. Yeah. And, uh, so then I, uh, you know, I had to find a place to live and everything if I was going to be working there. And that, that was a good experience. Got, got really into, you know, getting in the water every day, two, three times a day. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was a good time. Did you get your surf up? Did you get pretty good at it? I got okay at it. Um, it's funny though, you know, I, I went with all these boards and everything and bought boards from people and um, had some uh, like kind of, I don't know, experiences with waves and things where I thought, you know, I can't rely on this leash anymore. You know, I, I need to be able to swim out in any situation I get myself into. So then I really started doing a lot of ocean swimming mm-hmm. and then that led to a lot of body surfing and like, you know, doing stuff in the shore break and everything. And, uh, I actually found, I enjoyed that more than board surfing. So I just became like hardcore body surfing and just ocean swimming, doing stuff like that, <clears throat> you know, just go out on the longboard every once in a while and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, it was kind of interesting. I wanted to become a water man, you know? Just yeah, sure. not, not drown myself if I could avoid it. Uh-huh. And uh, that's when I really just got into body surfing and just, you know, being, being more like a dolphin. Yeah. Know, in, in the wave instead of on the wave. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that sounds really fun. I love yeah, it. Was good. It's like my favorite thing I've ever done in my whole life, I think. Oh, it's amazing. And it is, yeah, it's been a good metaphor for life, you know these big waves coming at you and you train yourself to be able to handle them, but there's nothing you can do except like either tap into that energy or just ride it out. You gotta listen. You gotta listen yep. to what it's telling you the whole way through, man. Yeah. You're going to have wipeouts, but you know, you pop back up and, uh, yeah. You ever watched the Nazir? What's that? 
Nazare, they call it, or Nazir, Nazare, the uh, biggest wave in the world out of Portugal. Oh, Portugal, Portugal. Have you seen those waves? They're amazing. Yeah, that place is nutty. They're like mountains. They they surf mountains. Yeah. You guys are just yeah. A lot of that stuff started there in Maui when I was living there. It was back in the nineties. <clears throat> that guy Laird Hamilton was living there. Yeah. And uh, I worked at the Cruiser Bob's was based out of the Chevron station there in Paia. Mm -hmm. And uh, so like Laird Hamilton and all those guys had come gas up their jet skis and stuff. So I yeah. worked on the bikes during the day, taking people up the volcano, riding them down, and then uh, worked at the gas station at night. And uh, yeah, kind of kind of met a lot of those guys that started doing the strapping stuff and the towing things and uh -huh. ruined surfing. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Every every advancement's just another thing. It's kind of fun, you yeah. know. It's like when the boots came out and all the skaters are like, "Oh, those are fruit boots," you know. And but there's some kids doing some really cool shit on inline skates, you know. Yeah, a lot of people cracking their heads too. Yeah, well, that's just because you know they're, they're breaking their tailbones, getting crazy with it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I went out skating today. I would pad up. I would look like a goober out there. I would have elbow pads. I would have wrist pads. I would have knee pads. I'd probably have a pillow strapped to my butt because I don't want any of this stuff hurt because it does not fix like it used to. It yeah, I started, I started wearing a helmet. I don't skate anymore because my balance kind of sucks with my health issues and stuff. Yeah. Um, but my nephew, I bought him a helmet and uh, he... Uh, he went down some hill down in Gilroy and uh, wiped out really bad, busted his head open. He was in the hospital for like six months in a coma. Long and they had a, downhill? yep. Wasn't wearing that helmet. I bought him dummy. I watched those guys. It's so crazy. And they don't wear helmets, you know? I, I do the downhill stuff too. Like I, you know, I taught them how to do the Coleman slide that all started like in the hills of Berkeley and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like with padded gloves and stuff and rocks, those little rock things, whatever they call yeah, them. Yeah. 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 You just do controlled slides and kind of pendulum out. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, once I figured that out, it, the game changed. Cause I had some good wrecks too. Me and your brother used to do a lot of, um, silly stuff on skateboards. Yeah, but you had those old like tricks street skateboards. You had like those Pal Peralta like street boards. Yeah, yeah. And they were not good for going down hills. Nope, no. No, man. They get no speed you'd get speed wobbles and stuff. So bad. Those the oh. new trucks with the they have the different design. They don't get the speed wobbles. But yeah, those speed wobbles, they're nothing you, you can do. Yep. Once you get speed wobbles, there's no way out. And it's just gonna start going boom, 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 and then it's gonna yeah. throw you. Yeah, one time me and David, we went up to uh, Lake Sonoma, mm -hmm. you know, the big bridge there. Yeah. Going out to the coast. Um, we were going down those hills and stuff on his motorcycle. We'd sit on the skateboards and then we'd take turns, you know, the one person fall the other down on the motorcycle. And, uh, you know, so we're all leather and helmet and everything. So we're good. But uh, um, a park ranger pulled us over and said, oh, we've been getting complaints and stuff, you know, about you guys skating down this far. We're like, we're fine. We know what we're doing. 
She's like, well, we got complaints. You're like holding up traffic and stuff. And we just started laughing. <laughs> There's no way we're holding up traffic. We're passing cars. There's no traffic. Yeah. Well, who, how are we going to hold up traffic when we're bombing down a hill, you know, top right. speed? So. What's that road that uh, goes from like uh, North Santa Rosa, you go over the hill and then you drop down in the Rincon Valley. What was that road called? Uh, Calistoga Road. Not the one that dropped in Lincoln Valley from Calistoga, the one that where you would go over to the, like the north side of, of Santa Rosa. Oh, like Sinead. Yeah, Sinead Road. I remember yeah, I was that's coming down 17 that. degree grade. Yeah. I was coming down that on my, on my Nishiki Arrow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which it had special brake pads that I could never find. And so they were never replaced. And so they were always just glassy. I got a story about that bike. Oh, you do? So I'm coming down that hill and usually there wasn't much traffic on the hill. They would kind of stop and go, stop and go, but it was backed up all the way. And I just started passing people and I didn't have any brakes. And I get down to the oh, bottom, man. There's, there's a car coming. And so I kind of, you know, how you just turn and go with. Yeah. I turned and went with and, and then I kind of turned back down and got out of it, but oh, scary. Yikes. Breaks and you're just coming into something. I yeah. gave that bike, didn't I? The Nishiki? I think I bought it for, for you from, for, I bought it from you for like not much money. Yeah. I just and, wanted uh, to have it because you appreciated it. Yeah. I was working, uh, when I was working at Ibis, when I was building mountain bikes, we were doing titanium bikes and stuff. And there was a guy there. He was really into, um, these towny bikes that he kind of developed. And we, we actually made like a fixed gear with, you know, the, uh, crescent handlebars and everything. And, uh -huh. and, uh, this is back in the late eighties. And, uh, so we'd take old road bikes like that, turn them into a fixed gear, you know, put those crescent bars on them. And that one was really cool. Cause I put a mountain bike stem on it. This is nerdy stuff, um, that you could have the brake lever going down. And, and that Nishiki arrow had like these weird Shimano parts where it was yeah. like a little mini roller cam brake, yeah. like those brakes you were talking about. So I cut the top off where the, where the uh, cable housing would go down into, I cut that off and just made it like a little mini roller cam right on the front. And oh. uh, yeah, we'd ride those fixed gears all over the place up in Anadel and stuff. And so you turned yeah. that into a fixed gear. Yeah. Yeah, we were uh, we we're like proto hipsters back then. Race. I What's mean, that? It, its gear pack was race. It was never, you know, like climbing up that hill. What what hill was that? Um, Black Mountain. What what was that? Oh, Los Alamos. That one ride we did up to like Mount Hood. Yeah. Yeah. Los Alamos. On in the middle of the summer. Oh my God. It was like 80 with, with run out of water up the top, got a pinch flat or something. Yep. Got a pinch flat. I was riding this little bike had racing gears on it. So you couldn't gear down enough to actually do the hill. So I I'm doing this zigzag thing, just like back and forth, just going yeah. up the yeah. hill all the way up. And it took us a couple hours to get up that hill. Yeah. That's a grunt that one, but it was a nice hike. We went over the fence and we hiked down into the canyon and we found a Creek. Yeah. Cool off in the Creek. Yeah. Drink some of that nice Giardia water. Yeah. I didn't get Giardia. Yeah. Me neither. So I guess we're good. Yeah.
No beavers up there, I guess. Not enough. Yeah. Is that where they get the giardias from the beavers? I don't know. Yeah, I imagine most things that live in those little creeks, you know, are gone because it's been dry so long. <sighs> yeah, things are a lot different than when we were growing up out there. Yeah. It's yeah. weird like watching the environment move up. You can really see it in Southern Oregon, like around Grants Pass, just kind of, it used to be kind of a little greener. You mean, uh, you mean Northern Jefferson? Northern, North Jefferson. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I know where you're talking about now. It's in your state, right? Our well, we're in South. Jefferson. Yeah. We're in South Jefferson here. South Jefferson. Yeah. 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 The, even the public radio station calls themselves state of Jefferson. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The public radio out of Medford is Jefferson public radio out of the state of Jefferson. Yeah. I dabble in some of that when I'm, uh, not resigned to just being an anarchist again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anarchy is a private choice. Once you involve public anarchy doesn't play very well. Yeah, it works for me. Unless, unless there's some basic ethics that people kind of adhere to. I mean, it's kind of like driving down the road. I don't, I don't worry about what other people are doing. You know, I just, for myself, that's what works. I don't, I can't, I, yeah, I don't count on anybody making decisions on how I should live how, and I don't decide how anybody else should live. So, yeah, it's surprising how many decisions are made for us that we're not really even aware of. Yeah. I mean, that are just part of, it's part of the fabric. It's part of the fabric of life. It's part of, we're just, yeah, we're just numbers. It's, it's that, um, communitarianism collectivism yeah collectivism all, all all the politicians just are into that model we're, well, we're just like a group we're just like a faceless group you know for common good well they advance everything on the common good and it's yeah collectivism has, good or common for anybody there is power in collectivism and that's why it keeps that's why there are collections and conglomerates and groups of power sources, because once they join force, then there's more power in it. So collectivism has, has an ability to, you know, have power and that's why people are drawn to it. Um, it also has a way of, uh, constraining outliers. Uh, <laughs> that's you know, me. Like, yeah. 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 I'm a one percenter. Yeah, it's not it's not easy to be an outlier in a collective system. Um, That's pretty easy. But church is a collective system, right? I don't know about that. Well, they are. They're 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 a collection of people who have a similar idea set and act upon those ideas in similar ways. Yeah, yeah. So collectivism is a natural tendency, and I think that's actually one of the things that's really driving people crazy right now is they're not able to collect like they used to with each other, collect their, yeah. in their space and that type of thing. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of still outside of that still. Cause uh, yeah, kind of I mean, I, I haven't gone to church for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm like hypersensitive to mold and that's kind of what triggered a lot of my health issues that I've had for like the last decade or so. 
So I, I don't go to church because, you know, it's a flat roof building and there's probably some water damage in there. People wear their perfume and whatever. And I mean, they don't, not so much anymore, but they used to. So I just quit going. And, uh, you know, I was like one of those uh, inactive types, I guess, but, you know, still in good standing with everything. Sure. Because I would go if I could, but I can't, so I don't. But um, it's really interesting how, with uh, all this COVID business, everybody's like, wow, man, it's so it's really changed everything. And it hasn't really changed much for me and my family. Cause you know, we home, we homeschool our kids. We uh -huh. live out in the boondocks, the middle of nowhere. Yeah. We only have a handful of friends. Uh, I wasn't going to church anyways. I mean, I've been going to church now more since COVID because it's Zoom over zoom oh yeah so, well, that's so i actually gave a talk in church like a couple months ago over zoom about what um uh, about loving your enemies mm, nice what was your how, how did you do it what was the deal i was based on a conference talk um and i just talked about how you know just with the political climate and everything loving your enemies a commandment you got to live by it. Even if you don't like people, you know, if you want to be a good Christian, yeah. you know, I don't Christ, love Christ really taught us hard. If people don't gloss it over, What's you know, that? what Christ really taught us hard. If people don't gloss it over or yeah. adapt it to their lifestyle or to their like social traditions, you know, turn the other cheek master of all love your neighbor give to the poor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So these, these things that Jesus taught were pretty cool. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of, I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe like 10 years ago, I really started reading all of Tolstoy's later works, like his faith based stuff, you know, what I believe, uh, kingdom of God's within you, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, I don't know. It just kind of really kind of sparked things for me, Ma made it more plain and clear, kind of aligned it with like, I don't know. I was all just kind of laid back Taoist, just, I don't know, mellow type of dude. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's like just the best part of Christianity, just kind of aligned with what I really believed anyways. <clears throat> so, yeah. Tolstoy. I haven't read Tolstoy. So now yes. I, now I it's interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, he, he just broke it down to that one commandment, you know, that uh, you have to love thy neighbor. You have to be willing to turn the other cheek, you know, if they, if they, you just, just complete nonviolence. And so like in the last year of his life, he was corresponding with Gandhi. Uh -huh. So that's where Gandhi got the whole nonviolence thing was from Tolstoy and from his really looking at what the new Testament was really saying. And then, you know, from Gandhi, then uh, Martin Luther King Jr. So that whole nonviolence thing, well, I mean, it originated with Christ, of course, but Tolstoy is the one that just really like drilled down on that. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't, I, yeah. you know, I'll have to check into that. Um, yeah, have you gone LibriVox? That is um, my belief system. And so when I see these, 
you know, Black Block, Antifa. I always feel like you're messing up. You're messing up the thing. This is not what we represent. Now, if somebody well, comes my my problem is because I'm an anarchist. Okay, well, I that's my main footing. These people are not anarchists. They're Marxists. I don't know what they are. They're just tools. Well, a lot of them are. A lot of the the push and a lot of where the money comes from. They're Marxists. So we won't dabble on it too much. But uh, I have a big problem with that because uh, I think I was telling you when we were setting this up. My uh, great grandfather came from Russia mm-hmm. at the turn of the century before the before the revolution and moved to Portland there. So settled in Portland, but uh, I don't know. It just seems like uh, I've been doing a lot of the family history stuff. You know, my mom was big into it. And I mean, I have my family going all the way back. I mean, all the way back. And uh, it just seemed like they were just always running from oppression, always running from screwed up governments, always running from people that were like trying to push their power on them, not letting them, live to their dictates of their conscience and uh yeah so thing is now it's like i feel like all that's kind of resonating with me but there's nowhere left to go right well, right it's like yeah where where would you go now where's can't the- go any further west anymore right where's the free country where's the one you right. yeah yeah there's no escape. It's just one planet. And that's why Elon Musk is going to Mars, bitches. That's that's why we can't screw up this great experiment, you know? Yeah, no, this is an amazing experiment. It's an amazing thing, Earth itself. It's organic. Yeah, complain complain about it all you want. But the stuff you're complaining about is not what the actual experiment is supposed to be. It's what it got hijacked as. And uh you know, the, the new thing is the great reset. We got to do the greater reset. You know, the people got to make it, make everything right. You know, I, I don't know. I don't think libertarian libertarianism is ever going to take hold, but, uh, I don't know what's, what's going now is not working. Well, so the idea behind libertarianism is I can do what I want to do and I can do it wherever I want to do it, however I want to do it. Well, in smaller government, you know, government decides it's going to tell right. people what to do, and the to get away power the- behind that is the threat of violence and blah blah blah. So, well, yeah, government will threaten violence if it if it can't get its way, and we right. do that on a regular basis. And who needs that? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, that's the extremes of it, and those extremes are actually supporting libertarian lords, power, money, people. Mm-hmm. And they are being supported by the forces. So, you know, pure libertarianism is always going to lead to every monopoly game you've ever heard of, where at the end, somebody's making all the rules because they have the money and they want to keep the game going. So they're like, yeah, I'll give you a loan. They're, they're doing that anyways. Right. So that's where we're getting doing that. Anyways. And at a certain point, it gets completely isolated. So Alphabet takes over. Right. Somebody takes over. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the end, the board is always taken over. And then pure capitalism, which is what monopoly is, is is an end game. It has an end game. 
So what we all love- Unless you can print, unless you can print endless supplies of money, but they're even getting tired of doing that. That's why the new push is gonna be just going straight digital. Cause then all, all they gotta do is get on the keyboard and punch in more zeros. Yeah. Well, the thing yeah. is, if you're just throwing out money and some people are actually producing and some people are not producing, then the value of that money is only worth as much as the amount of production that has happened. And if we've got, you know, only one third of the society producing, then the money is going to be reduced in value by two thirds. Right. Right. Because there's only so much product and then the demand will be, you know, two thirds higher. And, and so it's just going to create inflation. So that's, that's the problem with just printing money. Yeah. Um, however, we're, yeah, right. we're already there. I mean, uh, my, my parents' house just sold for just under a million dollars. You know, they bought it for 16,000. Yeah. We moved to Rincon Valley. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a little rambler. Yeah. Just a little rambler and nothing special. Mm -mm, no. So it money is a, a relative term also. So that same money in Santa Rosa, you know, spent in, in say John day, Oregon, you know, you don't have all the amenities of Santa Rosa, but it's going to cost you for that very house. You could probably get it for less than a hundred. Right. And see, I'm not moving to Oregon. No, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm staying in California, but we're like in the last toehold of California. You guys are semi-affordable. Oregon, You're almost Oregon. You're like, it's that part of California that nobody thinks of when they think of California. Nobody. No, they don't, yeah. you know, even if they do go North, they're going to go West all the way down. They're going to pass right by it and go, man, that was ugly. Yeah, but you do have a really cool bridge in Redmond or Redding. That bridge is Yeah. Cool. That bridge is sketchy. Is it? Yeah. Why? Are you talking about the crystal room? The crystal room. How bridge. it gets bouncy. Yeah. 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 It's got that loose site walkway. Yeah, yeah. Well, this thing it's all on cables. Mm -hmm. And uh we went to like some uh some UFO thing light show thing or something with the kids when they were younger and everybody was coming back across that bridge from the botanical gardens uh -huh. and the whole thing just started going, getting this like oscillation going Ooh. it was crazy yeah was like, you know like the footsteps like, yeah if and the whole thing just started going so those bridges you know they have a frequency because of this they're basically like really big pianos up in the sky, right? Yeah. And so uh, if they do get a frequency, they can start to harmonize or what do they yeah. get a feedback loop kind of thing going on? Yeah, that thing was swinging back and forth, probably a good three feet. You ever seen the video mm -hmm. of the uh, Tacoma Narrows bridge? Oh, when it fell? Yeah, it was a wind. With the wind and it just started whipping. And it's and it started to get those vibrations going on those wires. And those wires are basically getting plucked. And you know, like a wire, when it gets plucked, it, it vibrates. And so the whole thing's just started to create its own harmonics. And they say that was part of it. Yeah. It made that happen. Yeah. You wouldn't want to be on that. Yeah. <clears throat> Amazing. I mean, that's 
no engineer could have thought of that until after it happened, you know, and went, yeah. oh, wow, we never thought about that. Okay, so I'm going to let you shift into Garland Pepper mode. Yeah. And ask me questions. Yeah. About the past. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we don't just go off on like boring political crap. Sure, sure. Yeah. So when when you uh when you were young your dad was a uh he used to be in the scottish games so i was always impressed with that yeah did you ever go to yeah. those oh yeah yeah all the time <clears throat> he was uh it was like having a superhero for a dad kind of yeah it kind of was Kids at school would be like, oh, my dad can beat up your dad. And it's like, nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. My dad was a Marine and he tosses telephone poles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was the uh, national caber champion in 1975. Really? Yeah. John yeah. Henry Ross. And yeah. Before that, he did decathlon. He, he, but he was a big guy. You know, he's like six foot five, like 220. So he did decathlon and the, his favorite part was throwing things. You know, he loved throwing stuff. Traveling in the shot put. Shot put, discus, discus all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he did it all. He went to a uh, 68 Olympic trials up in Lake Tahoe for uh, Mexico city. And oh, really? just, yeah. And just, just fell out of the, of going to Mexico city. Cause he was already getting older in 68. And, uh, so I worked for a guy who was at those Olympics also as a hurdler, uh -huh. just on the other side of the highway in Calistoga. He had a, the, the heritage school for boys. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. What was his name? Ron, 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 Ron. I forget Ron's last name, but, uh, hmm. he was, he was a, an Olympian and oh, actually, cool. Yeah, ran in those races. That's the same one Jesse Owens did the thing, right? Uh, I don't think it was Jesse Owens, but yeah, one of those, those two of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. They did yeah, 68. Power. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. This, uh, this little drum set here, it's a 1968 Ludwig. Uh huh. I got it to do like the, uh, the Ringo Hal Blaine thing. You know, the rooftop concert, that was a yeah. 68 three-ply Ludwig kit. Okay. But the finish on here, it's called Black Panther. Black. It's like from late 60s, part of their psychedelic colors, you know. They had yeah. one, the Black, Black Panther. Kind of cool. Well, I, found out, I found out a lot more about Black Panthers over the years. And they really were a service group for the most. Yeah, for their community. Yeah, yeah, they were yeah. made, you know. And they did have their, their like, don't fuck with us side. Oh, excuse my language. We but, had, you had to. Yeah. 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 And, you know, they, they brought gun laws to California just by going to the, the Capitol. It was like, what? Oh, they got guns too. Well, maybe we need to reconsider how we think about guns. It's funny yeah. how that works. Yeah. How that works, you know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, he was he, he and a lot of his he had some crazy friends too through that, you know, these these big muscle guys, big strength athletes. Yeah. One of them I remember growing up was this guy Brian O'Field. Guy was a the guy was crazy. Uh him? That sounds familiar. 
he uh, he held the well the unofficial world record for shot put at like seventy six feet. Yeah, and uh, he th- this guy he could slam dunk a shot, and uh, yeah, he's a monster. He he was like six foot eight and like way bigger than my dad. Had these big gr- big gorilla arms, you know, like he could he could throw things so far because his arms were like his wingspan was longer than his height oh really? and, uh, yeah if, if you look on youtube there's a bunch of stuff of him on uh like uh they had those stars like things before the strongman thing they'd have like a bunch of football players and stuff yeah and uh he came in second in like the 100 yard dash or something between behind all these uh like football players and he like outlifted Lou Ferrigno, you know, the incredible Hulk and stuff. And, and he'd like walk around in these, uh, like, uh, Captain America speedos and stuff. Guy was a total, total character. Captain America speedos. There's a picture of him on the, on one of the sports illustrated. He's wearing like the tank top and the speedos, you know, Captain America. You know, I might, yeah, that's why he sounded familiar. I've, I've heard of this guy. Yeah, he, he was crazy. Your dad hung out with him. Well, the Scottish Games, like the the Caledonian Club out of San Francisco is like one of the oldest Caledonian, well, it is the oldest Caledonian club in America. Mm-hmm. And so they hosted like the national championships. They have them down in Pleasanton now, I think. But they were right there in Santa Rosa for a long time. So Yeah, so my dad was like the, the local guy but, you know, he was right there with those guys. And, uh, you know, my dad was like just over 200 pounds. And as he got older, even less than that. But uh, he hung in there with those guys, you know, like those big, like, you know, 260, those giants. He was lean, so, but wrong. Yeah, like pound for pound, he was probably like, I mean, I've heard old the old judges and officials and stuff said pound pound for pound. My dad was like the best there was. And he he didn't go into uh, the master's class. You could go into it in your 40s, but he stayed in the pros until like, I think well well into his 50s, maybe in, when he turned 60, he finally went into the master's. And all the master's uh, competitors were really bummed out because he just started sweeping started up. Had, yeah, had records for like a long time until like some of the bigger guys started coming up. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what is caber tossing? Uh, caber tossing is you, it's, it's, it's a big piece of fur. It's almost like a telephone pole, but you know, usually they're around, uh, I don't know, under 200 pounds, but, um, anywhere between like 17 and 19 feet tall. Oh, dang. And, and so you got to lean the thing up. You got to pick it up off the ground start running with it and you flip the thing end over end and they judge it like on a clock face. So a perfect score is to go is to run with the thing, flip it end over end and have it land. A perfect score is 12 o'clock and then like one o'clock or 11 o'clock or, you know, two or 10, um, that's a lower score. So perfect thing. What happened?
great because sometimes it'll go up and then teeter back or it'll go up and just kind of, but if you nail that thing, it's just straight down the line. So what does Perfect. that mean? It lands and it sticks? No, no, you got to, you, you toss it so it lands on the head and then where the tail ends, that's how they judge you. So you got to oh. flip the thing end over end. You got to so, flip the end so, over end, but if it falls that way or that way, it's less points, but if it falls 12 o'clock. Right, if you put some power in that thing, get it to just flip and go straight 12 o'clock. Yeah. If you don't have enough power, it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah, it'll get <laughs> a lot of guys, you know, it'll just go and just, you know, slam down or, you know, they can't get it up and over. So you got to you got to toss that thing to where it goes end over end. That's some manly shit right there. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, stuff you come up with. Wow. Rocks and logs. Let's what throw them. Much? Let's even throw them the furthest. Do man stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And the hammer. Yeah. So I first met him uh, my when I first got back from the Marines. I went to church and John Henry Ross was there and I was in my uniform. He's like, oh, look at there. Semper Fi. Semper Fi, brother. I was like, oh, you're a Marine. He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was cool. Um, yeah, he was right in, right in between Korea and Vietnam. So he didn't have to go anywhere. Yeah. But, uh, they, they loved him, you know, big, big, tall dude and muscly dude. I mean, he lifted weights since he was a kid. And yeah. so they, you know, he was like one of the sword guys that marched around and oh, nice full dress and everything. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Those, those look like cream of the crop jobs, but they're really shitty. Yeah. They're yeah. Standing out in the sun for hours and hours all the time. Like every time there's something, your ass is out there standing in the sun in really hot black shoes and a suit in most of the bases of the Marines are in Southern climates. So it's yeah. great. It's yeah. He, he was down in San Diego and yeah. Camp Pendleton. And <clears throat> he said his favorite part of the Marine Corps was the food. Food was good. They'd feed him all he wanted. Oh, you can get whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. Now the food in the Marines was good, but the food in the Navy and the air force much better yeah yeah so the air force you know it's just i don't know it's nice it's super nice you know they had ice cream machines we we're like they got ice cream machines man <laughs> you can get a steak. yeah you can get a steak any night on an air force base oh man right us is just whatever's there you know a lot of shit on the shingles and stuff like that you know that's a whiz what they call those back in the day yeah um, it's just gravy over a toast. But, yeah, that's that's that, the. Oop, let me get my water here. That was that was kind of how we got into the punk rock stuff too. Because back in the seventies, uh, my dad went over to Scotland to compete in the Highland Games over there, uh -huh. and uh, took my older sister with him, and she came back with a bunch of punk rock records and like fanzines and stuff uh -huh. and, and uh so we just dug that music and uh started uh having like pen pals and stuff over in uh great britain and scotland yeah you know that were kind of into that that new thing that was going on i just interviewed a punk rocker out of uh london michael davies he's with a band called lac uh law-abiding citizens 
Mm, cool. And, uh, they're kind of that anthem style punk, kind of like, uh, I, I don't know, uh, The Clash, maybe. Uh-huh. You know, kind of fun, kind of out there, kind of boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, kind of the stories of being a council kid, living out, living in the, you know, the council flats. That kind yeah, of thing, yeah. Kind of rough and tumble. Yeah, I was kind of wanting to play punk rock. It never quite came out that way, but we, we had a couple punky songs back back then. It seemed like a lot of the punk band, like punk bands back then, there were guys that wanted to play heavy metal, but like they weren't quite good enough yet. Yeah. So they'd like start out as a punk band. And then when they got their chops up, they'd become like metalheads or whatever, you know, but sure. we all stayed like pretty true to it. But you, I don't know. Some interesting stuff because you were both into Rush also. Actually, I think your whole band, Coffee and Donuts, was into Rush. So you had yeah, yeah. punk with this kind of. Yeah, well, we were like. Uh, influenced by Lifeson. We were like. Uh, I was. I don't know. I grew up like listening to surf music, like Beach Boys and Ventures and stuff. When I was a little kid, you know, I wanted to be a drummer. My uncle was a drummer. I used to roadie for him and stuff. Yeah. So I was really into that kind of stuff. So if you listen to like the ventures yeah, and rush and deep purple mm-hmm. and then sprinkle in some punk rock yeah. and then some blues. Cause like I, that's what I really started out when I was playing guitar. Well, I used to play with my grandpa when I was, you know, like 12 and stuff played country with his band country western yeah and uh he he gave me my first electric guitar and he gave me a book how to play rock and roll lead guitar and it was like straight up chuck berry you know like and so that's why i learned to play just that 12 bar chuck berry stuff and then uh so there's a lot of blues in coffee and donuts and when i was in high school uh me and my friend mike uh, we, we had a group, a little group. We never played anywhere, but we played every day after school. It was the Joe Fortune Band. His middle name was Joseph. My middle name's Fortune. So, and actually that's my, the, what I call my solo project now is still the Joe Fortune Band. But uh, he had a drum set and he was a guitar player too. So we'd fight over who got to play the, the drums. But, you know, since it was at his house, he got to play the drums so that's when I got better at playing guitar because he wanted to play drums and I'd have to play guitar with him. We we're like a like black keys, like you know, back in the mid eighties. Mike's a good drummer. He's yeah, drum. Powerful. Yeah, he's really good. No, this is uh Mike Gutch. He plays drums oh. with the aces. He's like the shuffle king, best blues drummer around. Nice. And uh so then in high school, that's the stuff we were playing, is that blues stuff, you know. Fabio Thunderbirds, stuff like that. And this kid came to school, kind of punk kid. We we're hanging out and he moved from Austin, Texas. He's like, Hey, you ever heard of Steve Ray Vaughn? I was like, Oh, yeah. Didn't he play on like Bowie's album? Yeah. yeah I really like that way that guy plays. And I really like his brother, though, with Fabulous Thunderbirds. And he was like, Whoa, you know, Jimmy Vaughn? So this is uh, Doyle Bramall Jr. His, his dad co wrote. A bunch of Steve Ray Vaughan songs and played with both Jimmy and Steve Ray Vaughan. Okay. And then uh, Doyle dropped out of high school to like play second guitar for Fabulous Thunderbirds and stuff. 
And so we used to do like little jams and we had one in my grandma's house one time, we'd do musical chairs because all three of us could play bass, guitar, drums. So we do like, uh, we'd play one song, rotate, play another song, rotate. And uh, we made a tape of that and Doyle took that to this uh, DJ, Bill Bowker that had blues with Bowker on, blues with Bowker on KVRE. And he was like, oh man, I got to get you in a band with some real players and stuff. And, and it was funny too, because he started kind of coming up in the blue scene and stuff because Bill Bowker just started managing him kind of and getting him out there playing. Yeah. And so we'd go to blues jams and we'd pretend like we didn't know each other. And uh, so like these older guys that ran the blues jams would be like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, you know, we they'd introduce us all to each other and we'd get up there and like play till last call and just smoke them, you know, cause, cause we'd played together a bunch and you know, we knew all the songs and everything. <laughs> so How that was kind of fun. When you started playing. What's that? How old were you when you started playing? Um, well, I got my first electric guitar when I was 12, but like before that I just played acoustic and, uh, was more into like beach boys and eagles and stuff like that mm-hmm. but then when i got an electric and my grandpa gave me that how to play rock and roll lead guitar then uh yeah a, some mel bay book right out of the 50s or something sure and then it was just like kind of blues stuff from then so i got i'm kind of stuck in that pentatonic rut and then uh you know when i turned 13 then it was like oh man it's just like the 80s it was like stonerville you know the derby jackets and the the boots and the bell bottoms and everything and uh you know i loved stuff like i mean that's all i listen to anymore is late 60s early 70s stuff uh montrose that first montrose album that's the best record ever you know every song on there is just fire thumper straight up thumper rick derringer we, we saw Rick Derringer one time at the River Theater, me me and my buddy Mike Gutch and uh, Doyle Bramall. We're the only three people there. Well, there's a, a guy with a date sitting at the table and they left after a couple songs. So we're we're the only three people there. I Like they didn't promote it or anything. I think he heard of it through the record station. Uh-huh. And Rick Derringer was my hero. Yeah. So we were, we were there standing at his feet, three of us. There was three people on stage, three people standing in front of the stage watching. And he ran back and forth on stage. He was dripping sweat. He did did you ever listen to Derringer Live? I probably did. And the, you know that rock and roll hoochie coo and all that. Oh yeah. Yeah, beyond the universe. If you listen to that album, he he played with as much fire as that album running back and forth after every song break into an extended rave up guitar solo and uh, the audience three people three people on stage the three of us stand there watching him and he put on a show like he was playing at you know that's the thing royal albert hall or something thing yeah no i remember uh parliament or uh george clinton yeah yeah they came to Silverton to actually play it and there were only like maybe 150 people in the audience oh man yeah it just didn't I don't know it didn't get promoted right or whatever but they came out and they hit it 
They hit it yeah. on and they kept it going. And they played the show that they would have played in Chocolate City. Yeah. You know, they played as if we were in D.C. And they just hit it. A bunch of white kids out there. And they're having the greatest time ever. It's, it is actually the best show I've ever seen. Yeah, that was like that thing when Rick Derringer is like, I learned a lot, you know, about what it means to be like a musician. You know, it's like you put on a show. Yeah. And uh, like before that, like when I was in Coffee and Donuts, like I got... I got David in that band because, you know, I'd seen him in plays and stuff. And, you know, he had four heads and stuff with, uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't remember his name. He was in the four heads with uh, his friend and playing drums and Pat. And Pat Mari. Okay, yeah. I don't remember that one. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I wanted to get him because I thought he'd be a good front man. Yeah. You know? And, and front man. He's I just, I just like faced my amplifier all the time. And yeah, you know, I was, I was, I was really like a shy kid, really introverted. You were really shy. So I, you know, I didn't want to be up there on stage, you know, but I loved playing music and the music we played is the music I wanted to hear, you know, just like Americana, psychedelic, progressive surf, instrumental punk whatever i don't know blues. yeah it could go everywhere i mean you had you know the brown derby blues and you know surf god skate yeah, gods yeah skate god, skate god which is you know that's that surf punk style yeah our, our drummer uh mike hill he was he was part of jack's team like jack's team originated in uh petaluma uh -huh. and and then like their biggest chapter is probably SF. They're still around uh, British Columbia, but we'd play a lot of like their reunions and stuff back in the day. Um, Cause we were kind of intertwined with them. They're basically like the hell's angels of skateboarding. Wow. You know, they had cut, they had colors and everything. <laughs> so they beat up those kids in the inline skates. No, it was before that. This is like in the eighties. Yeah, they didn't have inline skates then. Yeah. No, they're all like bike messengers and stuff. So yeah, if you if you went to the city, you'd always run into those guys. Fascist Asians on patrol there after you. <laughs> so, yeah. Or their three piece suits. They stomp on you with their shiny boots. Get out of the yeah. way. That's a great song. Yeah, that was that was fun times. That's but, yeah, I had a lot of fun with David, man. We played so many crazy shows and had fun experiences and stuff. Good times. Yeah. That was, you guys were a good band. I really loved it. Yeah. I wish I, well, I, I think it was, I think it was interesting. Cause like people could actually dance to us, you know? Yeah. But we'd get heavy and stuff, you know, for toward the end. And, but Casey yeah, was good. People could always have fun to go there. see us. Casey was a fun bass player. He was, you know, kind of funky. It was pretty good. Yeah, uh, yeah, that guy's good. Uh -huh. And then, then after, uh, well, after David left, we played like another little bit. But then we kind of broke it up. Mm -hmm. And then me and Casey started another band with uh, Eric Strand called Los Gordos. And we had a singer, uh, uh, Eric Lindell, really great singer. He's on Alligator Records now. He moved to Louisiana. Does like the Americana thing. Great singer. 
but our drummer was so loud. He was always blowing his voice out. So he left and like, you know, I had a good singer with David. Yeah. And I had a bad experience in high school. Like, I don't know if anybody from Santa Rosa is going to listen to this, but uh, I took a voice class from Mr. Earl, the the voice teacher mm-hmm. and uh, went through the whole class. And then the final, you got to get up and sing in front of the class. So I get up and sing. I, I think I sang a door song or something. He's and he's accompanying on the piano, right? Everybody for their little final thing. Oh. <clears throat> he stops playing a couple bars in writes a big red F on my sheet music, hands it back to me and tells me, don't ever sing again. What? Yeah. What an asshole, right? That's really messed up. Yeah. No, right. That- and then and I took the class from him. It's like, I want to learn how to sing. You failed as a teacher, you know? So, uh, so you know, I had a hang up about singing. So Los Gordos was when I was finally like, you know what? I, screw that. Try. You know, I'm tired of looking for singers because all they got to do is like show up with a microphone if they even have a microphone. And, and I don't know. So like everybody we tried out was a flake or, you know, we were too loud to sing to. So it's like, I got to learn to sing if I'm going to want to play in bands. So like, that's when I started writing simpler songs instead of like the rush stuff. It was more like just straight head punk or like kind of heavy stuff. So you can't do get out of the way. Me, no way. I, I'm having a hard time talking right now. You know, I don't, I don't even hardly talk to people. So, but, uh, you know, I got passable, you know, enough to not have to look for singers anymore. Yeah. But, uh, and with that band, we like opened for green day and a bunch of other bands and stuff. And, Nice. That was kind of fun and got to do a little recording with them. Like the, that was the, my, my three goals was to like do some recording with a band, build mountain bikes or BMX bikes and uh, learn how to surf. Yeah. So like, you know, by the time I was in my twenties, I'd already met all my life goals, <laughs> you know, bucket list was short. Right. So what do you do then? Yeah. You gotta make a new bucket list. Yeah, I'm on the I'm on the downhill slide, brother. Yeah. Well, yeah. you got family and you're you're having fun with that. Oh yeah, I love it. Tell me about Our your kids family. are awesome. Tell me about your family. What do you got going on there? Well, I'm I met this girl and we uh we we got married and I started going to school in Oahu. Mm-hmm. And because she was like you know what? I went to college and you're going to go to college. And I couldn't have done it without her. And so I, I did. And, uh, it worked out awesome. I, I always thought I was too dumb. You know, I barely graduated high school. You know, I was, I, I was like an electronics TA. I liked electronics. I loved art. So I was an art TA. I was a pottery TA. I was an electronics TA. I was on the lighting crew. You know, all those things, I worked with a counselor, like drawing birthday cards and stuff. All those things get enough credits to graduate. (laughs) And uh, so I got out of there and I was done with school. And uh, I don't know if you remember uh, Juliet, my my girlfriend, Juliet. 
Yeah, yeah. And her little brother is. Yeah, all, you know, all her parents were both both doctorates and everything. And, yeah, I you that. know, just and all of them went to school and school was what you did, you know, college. I didn't even think in my family, I didn't even think we did went to college. I just thought that was for rich kids. You know, only rich kids go to college. Yeah. So I wasn't even planning on it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I barely scraped through consumer math and stuff like that. You know, I thought I was a, I thought I was a dummy, but then, uh, started going to school. It all clicked. You know, I started working on, uh, toward getting my engineering degree, you know, did all the calculus, trigonometry, statistics. And it was just like, whoa, you know, this is like a puzzle that there's only one right answer to. I like this, you know, it's just really? pure logic you fell into it and you liked it. Yeah. 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 I'd got, cause my dad worked for the water agency in Sonoma County. Mm -hmm. And so I got my water treatment license, but I was like, well, if I start working at a water treatment place, I'm only going to get so far, but if I have a degree too, then, you know, I might get somewhere. So I started working toward my, uh, environmental engineering degree up at Humboldt state. And it's funny. Cause like, that's where Juliet wanted to go when we were going out. And I was like, Oh man, I hate it up there. It's foggy all the time. So yeah, depressing. It's freaking, but that's where I ended up finishing up school at Humboldt state. Yeah. But then, uh, I already had two kids by then, like partway through school. And, uh, both my kids were born up. My daughter was born in Arcata. My son was born in Fortuna. And uh, so they're eighth generation born on the North Coast of California on my, well, on my mom's side of the family. Uh -huh. So they're eighth generation. That's why we're trying to stay, make it stick in California. You know, we'll be the last one standing, Just, perhaps. Well, it would probably be Jefferson by the time your kids are, you know. If, one can hope, right? Well, I don't know. No, I don't know. Yeah. I always see these secession movements and they're always among groups that have very little resources. It's all the crazy conspiracy rednecks like, like me. Yeah. It's, it's the people in the most remote areas that are literally served by highways and electricity and other resources because the rest of us agree to do it. Well, because we're, we're burning down. We're, we're burning down. Yeah, they take are. all our water. Yeah. There's no end to the water that they want to keep taking. Well, there's and, so many people and you fly right. over LA. Well, the flat on the flag, it's the double cross. Freaking yard, rich or poor, doesn't matter. Everybody's got a swim pool in LA. It looks like. Yeah. Well, I got a swimming pool too, but it's, it's mandatory here during the summer. Oh, I know. Yeah. We get a week of hundred and teens go, you'd lose your mind if you couldn't take a dip. Right. But the amount of evaporation that comes off of a pool is, yeah. is over the top. It's crazy. The, the Jefferson flag, it's the double cross. Yeah. Double cross by Sacramento and Salem, right? Uh, no, it doesn't go all the way up to Salem. No, no. The double cross is that they want to secede because they're double crossed by Sacramento and Salem. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think what happens is people get out in the rural environment and, you know, they don't know where all that money's going, you know, um, but they're not looking at the pavement underneath their feet. 
you know. Well, sometimes they are. Well, maybe they are. I know. There's some pretty good potholes around here. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. And I five, you know, I five's just the central corridor through here. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, all things. I can literally take a left and probably another left and get to your house. Yeah. You know, maybe on to I five, take another left off to some road that's going to lead me to your house. Yeah. Yeah. Another couple lefts in there, but not too many. Not too many. It's weird. It's the longest driveway on earth. Yeah. Well, yeah, it does. It goes all the way. Pan America. Yeah. I had a friend that lived in Cloverdale and he said to get to his house, you cross the Golden Gate Bridge going north and then you make a left at the first stop sign. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yep. What, what town is that? That's uh, is that's Cloverdale. Cloverdale. I don't think it's like that anymore. They probably got a bypass now or something. Yeah. So you uh you still playing music? Oh yeah, yeah. Do you remember uh well when I was I we moved back to Sonoma County for a little bit. We were living in Kenwood on Adobe Canyon Road there, right on Sonoma Creek. Mm -hmm. And uh that place burned down this last fire, glass fire. So I'm glad we weren't living there anymore. But uh yeah, anyways, lots of fires down there. But uh uh, do you remember Cast Thousands? Do you remember David's roommate, Michael? And then uh, Steve and Sean were in that band. Uh-huh. And I worked with, uh, I worked with Mike and Sean at EMG. Mm -hmm. so we're all best friends. So coffee and donuts. If we were in charge of booking a show, Cast Thousands was on the bill. If Cast Thousands was, was in charge of booking, coffee and donuts was on the bill. You know, right. we, were, we were like band bros. And uh, we just hung out and party. When David left, uh, actually, Sean lived with David there on North Street for a while, too. And uh, so me and Sean, we were like good buddies, hanging out a lot, riding bikes, working at EMG and uh, with Norm and uh, Norm's machine shop yeah, across the way. Norm. He passed a few years ago. Oh, really? Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. How are all those Paquette boys? Um, they're, you know, uh, let's see, they're kind of all estranged from each other. I'm still connected with Roy, but not with the other two. Roy. Yeah, Roy. Maynard. Yeah. Maynard. He's, a, he's an elevator. Um, he, he's a supervisor in, in an elevator repair and, and installation company like Otis Elevators, one of the big ones, you know. Oh, cool. And uh, hey, Maynard, if you're listening, I don't think Maynard listens. We'll have to, I don't have to have to let him know that I'm doing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any, anyways, uh, uh, with, with Sean and Steve, when we were living back in Sonoma County, I started a band with them. We called it Nitro Shifters. Steve's daughter named it. And uh, we just started playing all our favorite type of music, you know, just like that Montrose three piece hard rock. Steve would sing some songs. I'd sing some songs and we recorded like a whole album's worth of stuff, but there's two covers on there that I haven't got licensing for. So I never put it out, but it's, it was cool stuff. And that's when I started 
playing Les Pauls more and stuff because you know, we're playing like ZZ Top and Montrose and Led Zeppelin kind of stuff. And it's like, all those guys are playing Les Pauls and I've played a Strat my whole life. So yeah, you need to so I got them. one of those and just love playing that style now. And, mm-hmm. and had Sean playing my big, my other big Ludwig set. I got my little one here for doing the Ringo Hal Blaine pop stuff. But my other big set is like the John Bonham size Ludwig set is the the bombastic 26 inch bass drum and yeah it's fun fantastic it's rock and roll serious rock and roll but uh so now i live in the middle of nowhere and i don't know there's a bunch of weirdos up here you know they're either like they either want to start like a country band playing covers at some hokey bar somewhere or they're like these kids that think they're metal and they want to like blow out their vocal cords and play like eight string guitars and stuff, you know, tuned down to zero Hertz or whatever. Yeah. Not, not my cup of tea, you know? So, so I'm just set up to record and I've just been recording my own stuff, you know, just kind of like mellow cosmic California Americana crap, whatever. And then I, you know, I don't know. I go back and forth, play hard stuff, and then mellow stuff. Mellow stuff. Yeah, here's a little yeah. mellow for this you. This is my wimpy voice. You know, it's like I can sing the mellow stuff better. Yeah. Yeah. And and sometimes hey. every once in a blue moon, like David will send me something and say, "Hey, put some guitar on here. I'm working on the song or something." Or yeah. One time I took like one of his solo shows from like the Governor's Cup or something. Uh-huh. Where he's just singing and playing bass. Playing bass, yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So I I took one of those recordings and just put drums and guitar to it and stuff. And uh yeah, it sounded well, pretty cool. But I think stuff. I'm too I think I'm too heavy for what he wants to do, you know. Too hard rock. The Governor's Cup. It was interesting because the the snare was loose, but it wasn't so loose that it was hanging completely. Yeah, it it's just doing the buzz, 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 buzzing. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. So he would just like hit those bass, and the drum was keeping up with him, just because yeah. of snare drums. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, doing this thing. To... Yeah, yeah. It's pretty brave to get up there with just a bass. And I'm and... so proud of that guy. You know, he also sells himself short. I'm not a real musician, you know, it's like, cause he was a singer, you know, I gave him a harmonica back so we could like drink Brown Derby and uh, play blues and stuff on his, on his Takamini upstairs there at his place. And, uh, the guitar was huge. He was selling himself short, you know, that everybody was so much of a better musician than him. It's not true. He, he's you know, brilliant. It's pretty common. It's pretty common for people to have that, you know, that of low musical self-esteem. No, it's, it's the imposter syndrome. It's the, yeah. you know, it's the thing where you're looking at yourself and you're saying, well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a legitimate musician, but you look out at the world and you're like, but no, Led Zeppelin's legitimate musicians. So, and I'm not Led Zeppelin. So therefore I cannot be legitimate. You know what I mean? It's that comparison thing. It's, it's, they call it imposter syndrome. Yeah. People feel like they're faking it. That's what I'm doing. 
That's what I feel like I'm doing half the time. Fake it, fake it till you make it, right? Keep faking it until I make it. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Or like me, never make it. Well, I don't you just know. keep faking it. it Seems like you're pretty happy. I mean, and if I'm you, way happy. Yeah, if you can just be happy with where you're at, then you know, making it is is somebody else's idea. Then that's if if you're happy, then you've made it, right? Well, the, the, I'd like more people to hear my music, you know, but. The bottom line is, is like I I play stuff that I want to hear that's not out there. Sure. You know, that's like what, all the stuff I listen to is old 70s music, you know, like Argent or, uh, you know, Montrose or uh, Bang. Bang's one of my favorite bands. Uh-huh. They got an album called Music. If you've never heard that, listen to it. T-Rex again. That's yeah, T-Rex. Yeah. We, we, we did uh, Buick McCain. And uh, if you go to my SoundCloud, there's a Buick McCain jam on there. Oh, there is. My cousin came to play with us one time when Sean couldn't make it last minute. He had to cancel out of a practice. So I called up my cousin, Kristen, who's uh, like an old time punk drummer from San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And so she came up to fill in and we were playing Buick McCain. And we used to play it the way he plays it on the album, you know, where it's kind of like slowed down a little bit uh-huh. but my cousin just came in like like double time yeah and it sounded killer and that's how we did it from then on it's that's like cool. sean you got to play it this way now uh-huh. you know? yeah. yeah so if you go to my soundcloud air cross five there's um there's a completely outrageous over the top super sloppy in your face version of uh buick mccain on there Oh, I have to listen to that. Yeah. So with extended guitar solos. Extended guitar. <laughs> That's rock and roll, baby. You yeah. don't play a guitar solo much anymore. Not like you used to. No, and I want to hear guitar solos. So that's why I make my own songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, it's like I've been getting into like uh like the hippie stuff too. You know, it's like I mean, I kind of used to be a bit of a deadhead. Yeah. And uh jingly jangly stuff but like all the guitar players that start knowing their business yeah they all want to learn how to play like jerry garcia once they really figure it out and he's he's overrated as like a i don't know the whole icon or whatever you know all that hippie crap you know i'm not into that but as a guitar player you know there's people that you know, like lose their minds, you know, on their trips with him playing guitar. Yeah. But uh, he's pretty underrated. A lot of people think he's not a great guitar player. But if you listen to what he's really doing and you figure out the modes he's playing, how he's following the chords, how he's a melodic player, how he plays a lot of chromatic runs and stuff. Yeah. Stuff That's is really far. Is his chromatic runs. And, and a clean tone where you're not overdriven and, you know, getting feedback and stuff. That well, stuff's fun, but you plug yourself into a clean amp, you're naked, man. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, you know, that's the thing with like Telecaster players are typically that real clean style. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, no, so for you, you had to move on. You moved on to the humbucking kind of. I don't, I don't even know what's happening with the humbuckers. It's they kind of 
it's, it's got like a little more feedback into the game. It's got a little more output. Usually they're, they're around a little hotter most times. Yeah. And, uh, and they're a little warmer sounding. Yeah. Cause they got that little phase difference going between the coils. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So that's the thing that's different is that phase thing. And it just kind of leads cords into another. Yeah. The, the Les Pauls are a shorter scale too. So they're not strung as tight as a fender. Oh, the, the strings are actually like a little bit shorter. I didn't know that three quarters of an inch or something like that. Half inch. So, uh, yeah, a fender's got a little more tension on the strings. Oh, okay. I think that was the difference with coffee and donuts too, is like we we actually had, you know, we weren't like distorted all the time, you know, we had some clean reverby, like surfy kind of tones and stuff. And yeah, we weren't always just like cranked up. Who was it you guys played with at the Gilman? A bunch of people. We usually when we went down there, it would be like a Sonoma County show. <clears throat> yeah, but there was one was it was Offspring or something, and then, and there was just a bunch of skinheads there. It turned that show into shit. What show? Oh yeah, I don't know. I think it might have been the Offspring. Yeah, we we ended up on a record with those guys. Um, it's make the collector nerd sweat, and then like some later releases that came out. Uh huh. And, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, they, for some reason they put us on there, even though we weren't like East Bay band or whatever. And then, uh, well, that Green, was Gilman recording. Well, we recorded in the East Bay. Actually, we recorded Optimator, our, that our instrumental song. I love Optimator. Um, yeah, we recorded that um, the day of the Loma Prieta earthquake in Oakland, and uh, that was kind of crazy driving down there stuff was on fire power came back on enough for us to record that song wow. and uh but a couple of years ago green day made a movie called uh turn it around uh story of east bay punk mm -hmm. and uh they use that recording that's one of the few times i actually got paid for music um they, they use optimator yeah, they sent us a little check for that recording. So if you watch that movie, it used to be free on Amazon Prime, turning around, Story East Bay Punk. But they use that song. Anytime they're talking about like something heavy or something bad going down, <laughs> here comes our music in the background. Really? Yeah. Well, it's perfect. It does have attention. It's a little moody. Yeah. It's got attention to it. It's got kind of a hyper suspense movie feel almost. I, yeah, when I wrote that song, we I wrote that song. We I showed it to the band. We learned it. And there was some people hanging out there. Is at Mike's warehouse in Petaluma, uh, by the Petaluma River there, and uh, everybody came up to me like a couple days later and said, uh, "When I went home and I that music you guys were playing was in my dreams that night." Yeah, yeah. Everybody that was there told me that. It's that good. It's a really good song. That's okay. It's got it. It's got a little bit of a. No, if you know, if you know Rush, you'll know that I was like subconsciously like ripping off some lifes and stuff. Oh, totally. totally. Yeah. But also, it was your own. I think you. What's the timing on that? It's not standard timing. What is that? Uh, it's 
seven, eight, five, four. Uh, it's it's all over the place. It's got some uh, three, four. Yeah. Six, eight. It's all over the place. All over the place. Yeah. And you and Mike can do that just fine in case he can jump into it and no big deal. Yeah. Mike taught us how to count. Yeah. Well, there you go. Count. That was math rock before uh, before we knew how to do math, I guess. It really is. Or math rock was a thing. Optimator is a math rock song for sure. And it's named yeah. after Spotten Optimator. Spotten. Double Spotten. Double. Two shovels, two shovels worth of hops goes into the vat or something double like that. It's a double buck. <laughs> yeah. You can get it on tap over here at the Mount Angel Sausage Company. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they've got Optimator on tap. Wow. Yeah. Well, they got a big connection to Germany because he's, you know, he does all the German stuff, oh. German sausages. and Yeah. Yeah. Same music every time you go in there. Is there, is there any, like, okay, so my great-grandfather, Ludwig Ross, who my son's named after, mm -hmm. Everybody sees my drums and think, oh, why do you put your son's name on your drums? No. Get after your grandpa. Yeah. My great grandpa. Great grandpa. Yeah. So he came over turn of the century, 1900 to Portland. Um, he was Volga German. So in the 1600s, Catherine the Great, who was a German princess married into Russia, became the ruler. She offered Russians to come over free land no military service and uh, no taxes for the first 30 years. Wow. And so uh, 1670 something, uh, Martin Ross went over there. His wife died. Another lady's husband died. They combined their families. So the Rosses were in, in uh, Russia in a little town called Norka on the banks of the uh, Volga River near uh, Saratov and uh, out on the steppes. Mm -hmm. Really bad time, really bad time for a lot of things. The uh, the Pugachev Rebellion, bunch of just bad things going on. They got out of Dodge right in time. Uh, the communists starved them out and uh, you know took all their grain if you stayed there, you had a really bad time. You either ended up in Siberia or you'd starve to death out there on the steps. But a lot of Volga Germans ended up in Portland. And uh, the college there has like a library dedicated to the Volga Germans. So I'm wondering, is there still like kind of a Volga German history or community up there? There's a lot of Germans in in Oregon, uh, Mount Angel has a large German Catholic um, group of people. Mm -hmm. the, the majority of the people there are German Catholic. Oh, okay. They have a big German Catholic church and they have a monastery um, and they do an Oktoberfest every year. Yeah, and so it's, it's a pretty big deal. I don't know whether they're Volga Germans or not. Um, but I do know that there's a lot of them there. And then they have an Oktoberfest up in Portland, but isn't nearly as big as the little town of Mount Angel having its Oktoberfest. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, we also, yeah, my... have, we have the 
old believer Russians who have settled here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Old believer Russians um, have been kind of all around the world, kind of pushed around from place to place. But instead of instead of doing this, you do this or something. I don't, the the oh, difference I don't between the Orthodox and them is just how they do this. Apparently. So yeah, the, I'm probably uh, totally off on that. But there's a whole lot of that's things. That's what I heard. Probably different. Um, I, I do know that they they. They do the Easter holiday is a long time and that they do like a fast from um, like, uh, what is that? Passover all the way through Easter. Hmm. So I'll do like they don't eat during daylight. So it's almost more like Muslim, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So they don't eat uh, any any meat during that period of time and they don't eat be while the sun is up. And and so that that's what the sausage place is for huh that's for when you're done with that sun goes down man just yeah. yeah well you can't eat meat though you can't eat meat so the uh the russian orthodox they don't eat meat during that period of time hmm. um, so they just yeah they're always like yeah i'm gonna lose some weight <laughs> but yeah, yeah there's a lot of a lot of those people around here and uh you know, i have quite a, a few friends that are are, are of that uh, belief system. Yeah, I think I was telling you uh, when we were setting the call up, my dad's side of the family from Ludwig on is, is from up there. Uh, my my grandpa was born in 1902 there in Portland. My grandma was born in Salem. She went to Willamette College and my yeah. great uncle Lloyd lived up there. And then, and then my dad was born in Baker City. So I love Baker City. Yeah, I need to get out that way. Yeah, it's just, I know it's beautiful. Um, it's really isolated. It's out in the middle of- Yeah, it's out there. Kind of middle of nowhere. It's maintained the same population for about a hundred years. Like it comes and it goes, but it kind of just stays about the same. Mm -hmm. um, it's an old mining town is what it is. And there was a gold rush years and years ago and it built up. And then nothing has really happened to it since. The only thing that has probably kept that town alive is the fact that it's only, it's right on the highway. And yeah. it itself is like a half a mile off the highway, but you know, it gets that highway business. So, and it's yeah, I need to get out and explore that, that part of the country. I've, I've, I've been up like Southern Oregon and stuff and out on along the coast, but yeah. And then up to Portland and stuff, but, um, yeah, that eastern side. I need to get out there. I have some ancestors that died in the Hepner flood too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Another tragic story from the ancestry. Yeah, I didn't know that there was a Hepner flood, but it makes sense. Yeah, I guess they had uh, the reservoir gave way and just took the whole town out. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, we should have known it was going to happen eventually. I mean, you know. The Missoula floods, they happened. Yeah. Like the whole Columbia Gorge, Missoula floods. Yeah, it's pretty uh, nutty. If you were to come here and go to Central Oregon or to Eastern Oregon, there's a whole lot of in between that's just kind of getting there. You know, there's yeah. a lot of sagebrush. And then, uh, but you get to these places like Baker City or Wallawa or Joseph. Um, even Grants Pass, or not Grants Pass, um, Legrand. 
just some really beautiful spots out there. Yeah. I, I like that kind of country though. You know, I, um, I never finished my college thing, but I, I didn't graduate an engineering degree because halfway through I already had two kids and the, uh, person who was teaching this bottleneck prerequisite class that I had to take before I could take these up, the rest of the upper stuff, uh, decided to go on a sabbatical. Oh. And so it was going to be like another three years of school for me. Oh. I, I took everything I had and, and shifted over to uh, rangeland resources science. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it should, it's what I should have been doing all along. Cause I was really interested in like soil erosion and stuff from uh, like trail issues with mountain biking and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I was into nature and outdoors so uh, uh, studied rangeland resources science. It's like a multidisciplinary thing. It's like animal science, uh, wildlife, soils, botany, um, and like a focus on grasses. Uh huh. And uh, well, grasses. So, grasses are yeah. amazing. I mean, they've got roots that reach way the hell down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So- cows actually sequester carbon. They. If you, if you take a bite off of a perennial plant, yeah, an equal amount of roots underneath dies and turns into sequestered carbon. Oh, so so it's carbon neutral because they're throwing out some. Well, well, yeah, a lot of those CO two studies are on animals in confinement that they're feeding grain. So you take an you take yeah. a cow with you know a, a large ruminant that's been eating grass its whole life and then start stuffing corn down its throat it, you know you'd get pretty gassy too i gotta tell you my smell changes when i add grain to my diet yeah <laughs> i'm trying to get back to eating grain Are i mean i don't eat any grains for like the last five years yeah i've so. just uh i've been not eating grains i've been not eating sugar or breads or anything like that for a while but this season we got birthdays and we got thanksgiving and stuff like that. So I've been eating, um, more carbs than I've eaten in a long time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to get corn back in. I probably won't do a rice or wheat or anything like that anymore, but if I could get corn going, then I could have tacos and corn's definitely my weekly, but I like corn the best. Yeah. But it is the highest, you know, it has the highest, I don't know. Rice is pretty high, high glucose too. Yeah, I'd probably I wouldn't go crazy with it. I got a lot of self-discipline. Well, you can always, you know, I mean, one taco shell or two taco shells, but all the rest of the well, homemade taco, homemade tortillas. Well, yeah, yeah. My my wife's Mexican, so she. Oh, well, you got you're at the source. You wouldn't, you wouldn't stand for any of those taco shells coming in the house. That's a beautiful thing about living on the West Coast, though. You can get fresh tortillas. If you, oh, we, there's some tienda somewhere around you that is selling fresh tortillas. Yeah, actually my, my buddy, like I have a couple friends up here, but the one that lives seven miles down the road, which sounds like a lot, but there's maybe like three houses between here and there. Uh-huh. Uh, he's got a 105 acre walnut orchard. He's closer to the river than I'm up against the foothills. But if you go seven miles up our road, he, uh, he used to have a drying shed and this guy, he's into anything. 
he's 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 like the smartest person i've ever met uh-huh. and uh i mean we talk about all kinds of stuff but when he was 14 he started um uh a microcontroller company out of his bedroom mm-hmm. and he's still doing that. It's called parallax. The guy's a genius. And he just, he, he just finished building. He spent the last 10 years designing from the ground up this, uh, microcontroller chip that he's got now. It's called the rotate, uh, the, uh, propeller Two. things crazy. It's got eight independent hubs. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's crazy uh pro you can do almost anything with it and it's like totally like open source kind of thing uh-huh. but uh so he's doing okay he's got 105 acre walnut orchard down there but he uh he had some guys working in his orchard that were always talking about oh yeah i used to work at this tortilla factory and he just thought that was so cool so he bought like a like a four like a quad line tortilla thing and just totally refurbished it put all the ada stuff into his warehouse there to like try and build a tortilla factory there's videos of it on youtube if you want to look it up like quad line uh corn tortillas homemade corn tortillas because you want to do gmo you know he, he brought in this big propane line so he could you know cook hundreds of pounds and nixed them all at a time <clears throat> he got it all in and then the county's like, well, you know, they inspected everything as he's building it, all the electrical, everything. And then they're like, well, what are you going to do with the wastewater? Oh, After, you know, he put, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. into building a corn tortilla factory on his property. Farm. Yeah, I just started yeah. a farm. I do a. Cause you could take all of that wastewater, throw it into a plant, water plant, sequestration. That well, it's, it's got the lye in it though, from the next mall process. Oh, there is lye in there. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty caustic. Um, it breaks down that, that endocarp on the corn. Yep. Then you got to make soap. Yeah. Yeah. You could get do the biodiesel thing. Yeah. It's just too many steps. Yeah. But he ended up selling it, selling the whole thing because he had refurbished all this stuff, you know, bought it used, yes. went through it, fixed it all, cleaned it up. Um, he ended up selling to a family chain of restaurants in Chicago that wanted to make their own tortillas for their restaurants. Yeah. So it went bye-bye, but just such a headache. Yeah. To have the county go, well, wait a minute. We can't do the final sign-off, you know. Yeah. I never heard the term making tortillas. Yeah. Have you ever heard that term? Yeah. So they're over in the other room making tortillas. Oh, yeah. Because of the sound. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like, I never heard that term before. I was like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. My mother in law, she does the, the flour tortillas. Yeah. But uh, we're kind of like a gluten free house. So. That, that hasn't been happening as much. My take on tacos is that if you order a soft taco, in other words, a flour tortilla taco, you have just ordered an unfinished burrito. Right, right. Got to finish rolling that baby up. It hasn't been wrapped right. It's an unfinished burrito. A right. taco has a corn tortilla shell. It right. Crispy. 
Yeah. That's just me. Yeah. Oh man, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> How long have we been at this? I don't know. Doesn't Zoom cut you off after 45 minutes or do you have like the premium edition? I have like the regular edition, but not like super. I don't have the premium. Yeah. But I I can do a couple hours, I think, when I when I do them. Yeah. yeah I think we're good. Unless you're bored. Of, I'm a pretty boring person. Oh, yeah. We've just had being a, a, just being a hermit, you know. Yeah. What's that? Well, I, I've, I've had a great time. Um, oh, thanks, Gary. Yeah. It's been a lot. I don't, I haven't seen you since David's wedding, I think. Oh my God. It's been that long. Yeah. That was his first wedding. Yeah. You didn't come up for the second one. No, no. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Weddings. You should have more. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, his, his wife now is lovely. Have you met Carrie? Uh, I haven't met her yet. Oh, she's cool. I like her a lot. Yeah. They're good together because they're both kind of nerds. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully I'll make it down here sometime. He came down for my 50th birthday party. Yeah. We we're already living here. And uh, we set up in the living room, just had a good jam session. And uh, he made a, a big paella for everybody. And Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. So you guys did the coffee and donut thing down in Petaluma some years ago, like a redo, a reunion. 2012 Nostalgia Fest at the Phoenix Theater. That was a lot of fun. There's some videos on YouTube of that. Yeah. We got some nice write-ups because we were like the one band everybody remembered, but nobody knew what happened to, you know? Right. Whatever happened. Yeah. 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 You guys could be in the uh, the VH or whatever they call that. That whatever happened to them? Whatever happened to that band? Nah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, if uh, if they had a channel just for like Sonoma County nerds, yeah, Sonoma, yeah, that were part of the scene, yeah. this microcosm of a scene. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of good bands. We, I'm looking back. We really had a good scene back then. You know. There really were a lot of good bands and there were a lot of people playing a lot of different styles like everybody playing around like rock every band was totally original and different mm -hmm. and then 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 primus came in and everybody thought they needed to get funky for some reason and kind well, of ruined I everything funk, i love funk funks funks in me well, i love funk too but i don't like a uh, bunch of people thinking they can just start slapping the bass and yeah rapping lyrics and yeah. stuff even though coffee and donuts kind of did that kind of thing a little bit thing a bit you had some fun going on um do you uh have you heard uh claypool lennon delirium yeah yeah i really dig that stuff that stuff is cool that's cool stuff yeah so some of my favorite music these days is 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 i've really liked that um wilco i'm getting into wilco a bit lately yeah and uh sturgill simpson Sturgill Simpson's blowing my mind. I just listen to old music, man. There's so many deep minds to have dig you, up from the past. At all? What's that? Have, are you a uh, Are you a Waylon Jennings fan at all? <laughs> okay, <clears throat> my family recently, since I got all my recording stuff set up, I I put everything in this little rack thing, so 
So everything's interacting, the uh, computer and everything. So uh, here at the house, we've uh, instituted uh, karaoke night, right? Yeah. And uh, Waylon's one of my go-tos, I got to tell you. Waylon's, Waylon's amazing. And uh, so Sturgill's got some pipes. And uh, I don't think he's landed on a style, like some say it's country, but his his last album was called, uh, what is it called, uh, Meta something, Meta. There's a, bu there's a bunch of those cosmic country dudes out there, you know? That he's, stuff started in California, you know, with uh, Graham Parsons and everything and Grateful Dead. And, you know, like you get a lot of those Nashville cats and they they do mushrooms and then they're like, want to play that outlaw stuff uh -huh. a lot of it's really good it's yeah good so it, it's interesting because there's a juxtaposition with Sturgill that's um it's serious rock and roll at some point but well, he it's can, almost a reaction to you know like when stuff takes over the airwaves and gets too like diluted and watered down you know all that bro country hip-hop yeah. crossover stuff there's always going to be a reaction when stuff like that's going on. You know, when, when it's just crap on the radio, there's yeah. good bands are going to come, come up to the top. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you'd like Sturgill. If you like Waylon, you'd love Sturgill. Actually. I think you will. Yeah. Yeah. He's a screamer. He's just on guitar. I mean, he's all over it. He's good. And he yeah. I, I've, I've heard him on uh, like Joe Rogan's podcast and stuff. Yeah, I listen a little bit, but I'm 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 more just kind of rock and roll guy, you know. Rock and roller, he really is. Um, but he does have that that thing, and he can he can do a ballad. Yeah, he did, he did a cover of a band in the '80s, like a, a new wave song called "The Promise." Uh huh. Or I a promise. I think it's just called Promise. Yeah. Dude, and he comes off sounding just like Waylon in it, and it, he just wrecks me. That song wrecked me. I mean, oh man, I'll check that one out. You ever had a song just kind of go into you, and you're like, oh man, that's that's my heart right now. All the time, man. Um, check out uh, Argent, their second album, uh, Ring of Hands. There's a song on there called uh, Pleasure. Uh huh. That song's got it all, man. The, yeah. the playing, the vocals, the recording, the just the sound of it, just is like this analog hug. It's mm. just pure, yeah. good stuff. And, yeah. and that guy, that guy came out of the Zombies. That's like that's another one of my favorite band, the Zombies. Zombies, they were good. Yeah, Colin Blundstone. He sang for Keats. Keats is good. It's good AOR stuff. But he did a lot of the um, Alan Parsons project vocals, you know, where it's really breathy and everything. That guy's amazing. And then the zombies got back together like, I don't know, a handful of years ago. Aren't they? What's like South by Southwest and stuff? What's that? Daddy. Yeah. Like you. That album, um, that album didn't sell very well, but that song was like a single off of it. Um, Odyssey and Oracle. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a, a letter from cell block 44 or something like that from cell 44. Yeah. It's about 
him reuniting with his love, his girlfriend that's been in jail. And then uh, this will be our year. I really like that kind of stuff. Another, like the only new bands that I listen to, they remind me of stuff from back then. Like uh, the Lemon Twigs. I don't know if you listen to them. I haven't heard of them, no. They almost, they almost have kind of like that 60s sound, you know, Beach Boys, uh, kind of glammy. Lemon Twigs, they're worth checking out. They're really cool. And uh What's the other new band I've been listening to? Uh, the Night Flight Orchestra. They're real 80s AOR kind of stuff. They're all these like uh, black metal guys from Sweden mm -hmm. that uh, start playing like this, like eight, really 80s sound and stuff. And it's like Toto meets Journey meets uh, Foreigner or something. It just, it, yeah. kick, it kicks ass. <laughs> They're great. The bass player from King Diamonds in that band. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And you and you listen to them, and they're just like, it's like hearing Survivor on the radio driving your T-top Trans Am down the street. You know. Survivor. I don't. Yeah, Survivor. Oh, that was, they were a Christian band, weren't they? No. Oh, I think it's Striper. They were Canadian. Oh, Same Survivor. difference. Eye of the Tiger. Me and David used to love that stuff, man. That, that was like our bond. April Wine, Survivor, all of that stuff. We, we loved that stuff, man. It was our dirty little secret. <laughs> well, I, I've had a great time with you tonight, Eric, and I'm glad that uh, we got to talk. I'm glad we could catch up, Gary. I'd like to get down there sometime. We're going to get down to California sometime. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you're definitely on the way and probably at a tired spot. So well, we could probably stop. Yep. Eat a yeah. We're in Tehama County Tehama. where Ishii used to live. It's, it's still pretty country. There's less than a hundred thousand people in this whole County. Oh, that's nice. And it's, and it's almost, it's almost 2 million acres. A lot of bigger than a lot of those east coast states you know yeah oh. people on the east coast they don't realize some of our counties here are bigger than your states over there well what's interesting is like when you have you ever seen those pictures of the lights of like the united states at night yeah you just the density of the east coast as opposed to the density of the west coast the wild wild west yeah, and, and then the the West, like the West itself, before you get to the coast, super, super uh, sparse. It'd be nice if all those folks in the cities where all those big light clusters are, if they could just like do their own form of government there and leave the rest of us alone to do how we want to do it. Yeah. You know? Not well, that I'm like red state or anything. You know, I don't I don't do that thing. But I, I, well, I voted for Tulsi, you know, I'm still a Democrat, but, uh, yeah. if, if they would just, you know, if they want to do that thing, do it over there, leave the rest of us alone. Yeah. I don't, I don't think the rest of y'all realize how much you're subsidized by that. Well, I am a retired government employee from the federal government. So, right. Right. You no, know, I, I talk a lot of smack, but you know, it's, 
it's keeping me going. And right. Yeah. I mean, you've got a hundred thousand people with, with over 200 million acres, your cost per acre. If you, if it was just you guys managing that, you know, for all of your services that you actually receive that you really don't think about whether they be roads and, you know, even if they're unimproved roads, they're roads that were made by. Yeah. Not so much. Some entity. No, not so much. No, that money's not getting on the ground, Gary. Yeah, it gets no. up here and it stays up in some guy's pocket. It, yeah, I, I was a, I did, a, I worked for USDA. I did a farm bill administration stuff. Yeah, number one payouts to farm bill go to all go to Manhattan. Oh well, that's where all the traders are. That's where everybody's farming. Yeah, it's where the money is. Yeah, the farms are yeah, the people at the farms are just employees of huge multi. No, not not all this. No, but I, I was I was working with private ranchers, family owned private property. That that's who I worked with. But if you look where the money goes, it's not going. It's not even going to the to the bank that pays for all the tractors. It's yeah. it's, it's going to Manhattan. Hedge funds. Yep. Commodities traders. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? It's not interesting. Well, no. If you don't know about it, well, actually, the people that don't know about it probably aren't interested in it either. It goes back to that power um, power thing. Like, if money's coming in, they're going to find a way to, to line it and put it somewhere. Okay. Yeah. And it's hard to hard to write laws and constraints in such a way that nobody can find a loophole. And so there's always loopholes. There wouldn't always. be straight up flat tax and and no there's always loopholes and then there's always people that don't even care about the law and try and get away with whatever. Well, that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, sometimes they get caught, sometimes they don't. Yep. Don't do the crime if you can't do the time. No, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a little Beretta callback for y'all. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, this is my good friend, Eric Ross, right here that you're looking at. And uh, I would like to thank you, Eric Ross, for being on my show tonight. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Um, all Let's of y'all see if anybody me. listens to it. Oh, they will. We'll get some people listening to this one. I got a yeah. page. I got a base now that, and I'm guaranteed to get at least a few listens on, on every show. At least one or two. Maybe David will probably listen to it. David might listen to this one. Make uh, sure it, I didn't say anything actually, too embarrassing about him. Actually, David may not listen to this because it's not in his bell house. It's not within his structure of thinking is podcast. It just doesn't work for him. He's like, why do you go so long? I'm like, well, because if you want to get deeper into a conversation, you want to get into places where you don't normally go, you got to go a little longer. Exactly. I'm an, I'm an auditory learner. I'll actually, uh, one more plug that those Tolstoy books, they're yeah. all on LibriVox. LibriVox. If you're an auditory learner like me, you can download the audiobooks for free LibriVox. LibriVox. It's a volunteer project where people just read books and put them out there in the public domain. All those Tolstoy books are on there. Okay. Um, and it, it, I, I listen to stuff better than I read it. And oh, really? uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a podcast nut. I have earbuds in my ears for probably half the day. 
Oh, do you really? Learning things. Yeah. Listen to this stuff about music or gear or uh, just whatever. Learning things. Yeah. Constantly learning. Excellent. All right, Gary. Hey, y'all. Um, I've got a little support button on my little podcast. You know, when you when you when you listen to the show, there's a thing that says support. If you'd like to support, please do. That would help keep this thing going. Um, I love y'all. I love you, Eric. And you all be good to your peace. Uh, peace, peace and love forever. Love forever. Everybody. What was that? Peace and love forever, everybody. That's for everybody. In and in and out. That includes you. All right. Good night. Good night, y'all. Yeah, thank you for joining okay. the Pepper Podcast, and we will see you next time. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, thanks, Gary. So we have stopped recording. No, we have not stopped recording.